What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of All Out War, episode number 118. Is it really? For our podcast listeners. Yes, 118. We're getting old. We're getting old. I feel old. I am old. We, this is a great one. Um, we It's <laughs> saying it lightly. It's saying it lightly. Uh, man, 118 episodes. I just want to say thank you to all of our listeners that are listening on Apple, on Amazon, on Spotify, wherever you listen, on Google, YouTube. Oh, man, we thank you guys so much for just giving us your time. That's all I got to say. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> what do you know, Rosie? Oh, I was going to say, uh, well, I was going to say to go up on that, uh, to kind of go into the episode before I go into Did You Know? Yeah. I was going to say this episode is was so much fun and uh, kind of talking about how far, you know, it, I was going to say uh, the our guests, we heard about it. We both heard about them at the same time Yeah, at the beginning of our podcast. And yeah. I was going to say it feels like a very close thing that I don't, I was thinking about this, like he, it was very important to us at the beginning, but this is not the end. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. Good. I, yeah. I didn't know if you were going to drop no, a bomb on no, us. Or no, 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 no. Like, uh, yeah, I was going to say, even though the, our, our guest, uh, we heard about him on his podcast, the beginning and the end, this is not the end, even though it is very important to the beginning of the podcast. It was very interesting. <laughs> to our origins. Yeah, 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 very much so. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, kind of in the same vein, did you know that there was a guy named Mohammed Bashir who looked like Saddam Hussein? And an Iraqi gang tried to kidnap him to make porn films. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that poor guy. <laughs> Dude, this is terrible. It says uh, an Egyptian man who looks like Saddam Hussein says a gang of Iraqi kidnap- kidnappers tried to force him to act in <laughs> pornographic films. They tried to pay him $330,000 American. Wow. And uh, it said. Uh, to play Hussein in the sex tape, which was purportedly planned to be sold to the media as an authentic recording of the deceased Iraqi dictator. <laughs> um, yeah, it said they grabbed him at gunpoint, tossed him in the van, all this other stuff. Here's a double did you know. Okay. It says, uh, however, Bashir's kidnappers weren't the first group to consider making a fake <laughs> sex tape featuring the despot. While plotting ways to destabilize Hussein before the 2003 invasion of Iraq, the CIA... I knew it! I knew it! ...considered concocting a hoax video featuring it. a Hussein lookalike having sex with a teenage boy. I feel like I heard about that before. Maybe, yeah. I feel like I did too. Like like back in like the 90s, the early 90s or something. But well, this would have, Yeah. It yeah. said it would look like it was taken by a hidden camera. A formal official told Gosh. the Washington Post in 2010... Very grainy, like it was a secret videotaping of a sex session. Wow. Yeah. Ugh, that's gross. You want to hear another one? <laughs> yeah. You want to hear a different... Uh... Is this one bad? Or... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Never mind. On, I won't man. tell it. Never mind. All right. That's it. Uh, are you sure? Yeah, that's fine. Uh, okay. All right. Well, that's <laughs> well, yeah. that's the did you know. Well, okay. Here, uh, here's the different one. I had to pull up a different one. Did you know that the Department of Defense... The, the, <laughs> the, the Department of Defense? The... the, the, the... <laughs> 
<laughs> the DOD yeah. spends $84 million a year on Viagra. <laughs> you you said that one already. No, I didn't say that. I told you that one. You just told me that? I think I told you last time that I was oh, going to okay. say it, but we oh. were, <laughs> it was bad for the last episode because we were talking about sex trafficking. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, maybe that's not a good one. Oh, man. Um, man, I don't know. they spend a lot of money on some Viagra. I was sorry. I was just trying to pull up a different one because the one, no, that's, the other that's one I had londa wasn't good yeah look this is a great podcast episode i don't want to waste any more gave, time yeah yeah let's just jump into this thing and uh this is quite possibly my favorite one that we've done ever yeah yeah definitely top it's definitely top two three top two two or top three two. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes they i get surprised by uh episodes but this one was was fantastic and so like i always say sit back grab a coffee and enjoy You're listening to the All Out War Podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of All Out War. I'm Turner, and I've got Rosie in the studio. We have an amazing guest. It's a good friend of ours now. His name is Ryan Peterson. He has a website called beginningandend.com, and he's written a couple great books that I highly recommend. Uh, his latest book is called The Judgment of the Nephilim, and uh, and uh, he is uh, our guest here. We're going to talk about Nephilim. This is our favorite topic, and this Ryan has had a huge impact on both Rosie and I. So uh, I want to welcome to the podcast, Ryan. Ryan, thank you for joining us. Fellas, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's been great already speaking to you, so I'm excited to get this started. Yeah. Well, we already told you that how what kind of impact you had on us personally, and um, just to reiterate that, and like a couple years ago when your podcast was given to me by a, fr- a mutual friend of mine and Rosie's, um, we I literally listened through all of your episodes, and then it like disappeared. And uh, I was like, oh, man. I was like, well, maybe it was just for the time to help me understand. And then uh, and then you popped up again, and you were writing books in the meantime. So uh, right. that's why you disappeared. So tell us a little bit about your latest book. And yeah, sure. Huh? I was going to say, and documentary. Yeah. And you missed absolutely. that, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So that's what I've been doing. I've just been working in the word and researching, and that's you know it takes a lot of time. So that's why it's hard for me to I had to take a break from the podcasting and video schedule. But um, but my my latest book is the is the final Nephilim. So it is the sequel to Judgment of the Nephilim, and basically what it is, it's it's jumping right from Genesis three fifteen, from what I call the ultimate prophecy, where God prophesied the seed of the woman, the Messiah coming, going all the way to Revelation. So this is really looking at how does what did the, what did Jesus mean when he said as it was in the days of Noah so shall it be in the days of the coming of the son of man it's looking at how the fallen angels the nephilim the antichrist how this all plays out in the end times in the book of revelation man so when you say when Jesus during the gospels is when he said that that whole when he said as it is in the days of Noah it will be in the the last days so yes. you're basically connecting that so that people can understand what it was like in the days of Noah to contrast that with today. Absolutely. Okay. And, and the, the, yeah, definitely. And what really, uh, one of the verses that is really the one of the foundation verses of my new book is actually in Isaiah 46, when God says, 
Uh, he's speaking to Israel and says, if you want to know how I am truly God, that I am truly God above all the fallen angels, above the demons, that I'm the God of God, the creator. He said, it's, he rests his, he rests his name on prophecy. Hmm. That prophecy is how God proves that he truly is God. And principally he said that he's declared the end from the beginning. So that really drove me that, that, God is telling us, hey, if you want to understand the end times, I'm going, I've showed you and told you everything already. So Matthew 24, where Jesus points to the days of Noah, that's an example of Jesus saying, hey, if you want to understand Revelation and properly understand end time prophecy, look to the days of Noah, look to the days of Lot and some other events early in the Bible. So that's really kind of how the book, uh, I think how we, we're supposed to understand Bible prophecy is by looking to the events from the beginning. So let's wait. I was going to say, yeah. I don't know if this is going to jump into what you're going to say, but I just, I picked up on that real, uh, that was, that was interesting that you had said, and th this is just kind of blowing my mind right now. So please just go with it. That the verse in Isaiah is obviously hundred Isaiah was hundreds of years before the new Testament, before Jesus came and before Jesus, it, it, before revelation as well. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. I, I think that was a really interesting point, and I would like you to, uh, if you could expand on that, that the by God declaring back in the days during Isaiah, through Isaiah, talking to Israel, again, this was before Revelation was written, and yet there was, he said everything you need to know about the end times is already here. Uh, I was going to say, I think that, could you, go into more of that of like, I don't want to say uh, by any means that like what I'm suggesting is that we disregard revelation and we don't need anything, but just that was, <laughs> I don't know that that was pretty mind blowing. Can you expand on yeah, uh, yeah just sure. that, that old Testament thing is. A absolutely. Uh, so, so one of the things, and we kind of touched on this before the interview even started, a big theme of the book is time. And I want what, I tr what I'm trying to share is God is understanding time from the divine perspective, being that God exists outside of time. Mm -hmm. So Jesus said, makes this very clear. God started the clock in Genesis one in the beginning. Mm -hmm. God's when God started time for us, for humanity. And Jesus also said that he is Alpha and Omega. He's beginning and ending of time at the same time simultaneously. So understanding that, I say that time in the, in the Bible, rather than being linear, time is like a scroll. It's where the events are all cycling over and over again. And so what I believe that it's not that we, and I know you weren't saying this, Rosie, we, of course we need revelation. That is obviously, that's a, that is one of the most important books in the Bible. But what I think God is saying is that the events early in scripture, even at the time of the writing of the book of Isaiah, help us completely help us to understand and decipher revelation. It's, it's a complex mm -hmm. book, probably the most complex book in the Bible. Yeah. And, I'm, and that's what I think God is getting at. And the way that God does this is by what we see in the book of Hosea, what God calls similitudes, that God will use a type, a mm -hmm. shadow, a foreshadow. And so all the events in the early parts of scripture are foreshadowing the end times events. And so, and, e, and that's why I try to start with a basic example that we often take for granted because we live in this era in 2021. And that's when John the Baptist 
saw Jesus for the first time during his earthly ministry and said, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Now, because of the age we live in where the, the Lamb imagery is everywhere, we just take it for granted. Of course, the Lamb of God is Jesus. That's, that's very common for us. But at the time that John said that in first century Judea, that was a revolutionary statement. Mm-hmm. And so I believe that's showing us how God wants us to understand prophecy, where what he was saying is the lamb that God provided when uh, Abraham took his son, took Isaac up on the mountain to just go offer his son as a sacrifice. And God provided a substitutionary lamb or a ram in the thicket and all the lamb, the, the Passover lamb, all the Passover lamb, that they were all pointing towards something. They were all a type or a similitude. And so that repetition through time was all leading to Christ and obviously the sacrifice of Jesus, which we all understand now. That's a very, that's a very commonly understood concept in the church. But I believe that same type of interpretation applies to Revelation as well, that we can also find the events early in Scripture, like what took place in the days of Noah, like what took place in the days of Lot, because Jesus said that as of likewise as it was in the days of Lot. We can also look to the Exodus. I believe that so much of Revelation is a repetition of the Exodus. Uh, that That's how God is showing us through time that prophecies are all connected. We also sometimes we talk about double fulfillments. I believe prophecies have multiple fulfillments that ripple through time, ultimately concluding at Revelation. Hmm. Well, you know, even in Revelation, when John is taken up for the vision, he sees Jesus in a couple different variations. The first one, obviously, he sees him with eyes of fire and the you know the gold around his sash, around his waist, and the robe dipped in blood. And then he sees him as a lamb at one point that's been slain, but it's alive. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, 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 I love. That's a great point, Turner. And even that, even how Revelation calls Jesus the lamb, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, mm-hmm. right? So again, it's showing you that God is existing outside of time, that Jesus, before the world was created, Jesus was slain. Right. How could that be? Because God exists outside of time, and so therefore can step into our timeline and exist in multiple timelines at once, simultaneously. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, so that's, uh, as mind-bending as that might sound, um, I think that's exactly what the Bible is telling us, and that's a perfect example that you brought up. Is that why when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees uh, and they were, like, debating him about Abraham, like, we're Abraham's children, and he says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am, and they, exactly. they wanted to kill him? Is that is that his, his like, statement of sovereignty of, of what, what what's the, the word I'm looking for, the like omnipotent or om, omniscience, uh, omnipresence. Omnipresent. Exactly. Oh. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So I think even that, yeah. So like this, you know, that the name of God, I am, you know, yod heh vad that, that, that even that expression is saying that he is the all existing being, that it's, it's an expression of time. And I actually quote uh, a number of theologians from the 19th century and the seventh and in the 18th century who said this exact thing that, that what God is expressing is not just that he is, God, the Creator, but it's also it's also implying that he he is the all existent one that he exists all in all times at the same time. And so, yes, I think that's a, that's a, a perfect example of God expressing this to us. I mean, honestly, like if you think about that, if if you have a relationship with God, if you've surrendered your heart to Christ and your life to Jesus, and you, if you're if you're born again, you belong to Him. 
that should bring such comfort to you because yeah. he's literally in every aspect of your life, including tomorrow, <laughs> you know, which we don't even have a clue what holds tomorrow, what tomorrow holds. I mean, that should just bring peace to a believer, you know, to know he's already written the future and he stands there, you know, waiting well, for it to come to pass. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Not only did he write it, he's there waiting for us to yeah. like be able to handle. Yeah. That just jacks me up. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Amen. Amen. The, all right. So let's go backwards a little bit, talking of time. Sure. So you said, and when you started off, you said, okay, so if, if we want to know what's going to happen in the future, Jesus says, look to the past, and that it's gonna, that's basically going to clue you in to what you can expect. And one of those was the days of Lot, the other was days of Noah. And what... One of the things that people get hung up on, because this is a Nephilim pod, we're going to talk about Nephilim this whole, you know, Absolutely. This so yeah, yeah. I, I want to get to the Nephilim. Yeah. Yeah. The big question is, and this is what, when we had Marzulli on, he wouldn't tell me how he thought this happened. Remember, he had alluded to that he knew how there was a second incursions or mm. whatever. So what's your kind of concept on, because in Genesis, it tells us that in the days of Noah, there was Nephilim on the earth then, and then after yep. You know, in reference to after the flood is what I assume that means. And so, and we do know that Nephilim existed because you do see, like in, I think it's Deuteronomy, it talks about the king of Og with the 12-foot bed, and, and you have Goliath, and he had, Goliath had brothers, and, mm -hmm. and then Joshua's whole mandate was to cleanse the land of the Raphim and the Nef, and the, the Nef, all the, the, the Eums. The Eums, yeah. <laughs> so how did, so... Was the flood was the purpose of the flood to destroy that? Like, what's your what 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 do you have? What's your thoughts on all that? Yeah, sure. And, and, and interestingly enough, a lot of this again goes back to prophecy, right? Because that's why I start in Judgment of the Nephilim with Genesis three fifteen. Hmm. That the reason for the, the 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 first incursion was because God announced to the devil in the Garden of Eden how he was going to be destroyed. He told him in no uncertain terms that it's going to be the seed of the woman, that a human child was going to be born who would conquer him. So now the devil could set his sights on stopping that, on preventing that prophecy from being fulfilled. Obviously, the devil doesn't want to be conquered. And this is what led to, um, and, and I, talk about, I talk about in Judgment of the Nephilim how Cain, you know, the first son of Adam and Eve, could have been the Messiah. When we're thinking about it from the devil's perspective, right? You, he, here he is. He's the seed of the woman, right? He's born. He's the firstborn son of the woman, Eve. So he could have been the Messiah. So corrupting him was critical to the devil, which is he did. And then, obviously, Cain was so tempted into sin that he killed his brother, his younger brother, Abel. So it was like a two-for-one attack to stop two potential messiahs who could have defeated him. And then what happens, we see Cain's banished by God, sent out of Eden altogether. So God separates Cain to allow the godly line to flourish uh, through Seth, the third son. And then what happens, what does God say? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. So now the potential messiahs out there has increased exponentially with human population growth. And this is what takes us to Genesis 6, because it says in, in verse 1 of Genesis, Genesis 6, it says, When men began to multiply upon the earth, and daughters were born unto them. That's the context of Genesis 6. So it's the population growth that the devil needed a widespread, large-scale attack. I call it the nuclear attack on the human race, on human genetics, to corrupt us. 
and, and make us something other than image bearers of God so we would not have a human Messiah. And that's what sets the stage. So when we talk about giants in the earth, uh, um, then before then and after that, I actually don't think that after that's referring to the flood. I think it's referring to that era because then it came to pass. I explain this in my book, how, you know, there's a, uh, this, this reference, it came to pass in the process of time that we see in Genesis six and Genesis four and Genesis two, and how it's all referring to this age when the human population started to be fruitful and multiplying. So this is when the giants, when the angels made their first incursion and took human wives, which would make sense because now there are daughters, there are women around to take. Mm -hmm. So this was the first, uh, incursion. So I think that's what drove it. That was the whole reason for the first incursion completely. So it was to stop this from happening. And of course, using the temptation of lust, yeah. marriage, fornication. And so, and that gave birth to Nephilim to, to, to hope, essentially wipe us out and contaminate us so that we become disqualified from salvation. So now, so, no, so, go ahead. so God makes a promise in Genesis three fifteen that yes. he, through the seed of woman, which is interesting because I've heard that taught too that women have eggs, but men have seed, but it would be God's seed and woman's egg, which would give us the man God, <laughs> the God man, exactly, the, yes. uh, full of full of humanity but full of divinity, and um, so Satan's plan was to corrupt that plan of God to bring forth a human that would have his God divinity. As well, I, I don't know if he knew that. Do you think Satan knew that part of it that it would be sent? I don't from know heaven? if he knew that it'd be God in the flesh. I think he, de but definitely knew it would have to be a human with super some supernatural ability to take him on. Right. I don't know if he knew because I, I actually I think of when I think of Matthew four the temptation of Christ. I, I actually think that the devil's being sincere when yeah. he says to Jesus, "If you are the Son of God, then do this." I think he actually doesn't know. Right. I don't think it was a lie that he he's sincerely questioning is like everyone else was. Are you the Messiah? So I don't think he knew the full plan of God. Um, mm. Wow, that's good. Yeah, he was probing for information. Like he's trying exactly. to find out. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. And, and a lot of people skip over this, and I don't know where you stand on this, but like, you know, we, we inherited our sin nature. So, yes. you know, so you have to break that genetic sin nature somehow so the only way that's going to happen is if god impregnates a virgin which is what makes exactly. it so miraculous with the virgin birth because it broke that genetic i call it genetic but it's it's probably more of a spiritual than it is genetic but, but both right but it's the flesh oh. like there yeah yeah exactly there yeah. has to be the genetic humanness aspect to it because yeah. yeah, we're the clay vessel, right? That's yeah. the vessel that it's held. Absolutely. That that is such an important point to understand, right? They, and, and it puts a hole in Jesus. And I and I, and I believe that's what the Bible means when it talks about begetting. When it uses the term Abraham begat Isaac, it's referring to that spiritual inheritance is being passed on, which of course we receive from Adam. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's specifically passed on from fathers to their children. That's in Adam we all die, yeah. not in Eve. Right. And this is why it had to be God begetting Jesus and Eve, um, Eve and Mary uh, <laughs> delivering him. But it's the spirit, his spiritual nature came from God because I believe that we inherit that from our fathers, which is why he had to be the son of God to break, like you said, that corrupted spiritual inheritance from Adam. That's the nature we all have, that we all inherit from Adam. So, yes, so, I agree 100 percent. All right. So let's go back to my original question. Then. <laughs> How did these giants show up and then 
yeah. be largely wiped out at the flood. I mean, all you had left was was Noah and his three sons and their wives, you know, after the flood. Absolutely. Yes. So you have a blank earth, a new clean slate. How do these giants reappear? Holding onto the side of the boat. <laughs> Like the movie, hanging on to the on the bow. I heard um, that. I've heard that as yeah, a real thing. That's right? a theory, really. Yeah. yeah so no, a- a- excellent question. And so I think there's um. So I believe, first of all, the answer to the question, I'll give you the reasons for it. I have three reasons for it, but the, so the answer to the question, I, my understanding, my certainly my belief is that the DNA of the Nephilim passed through on the ark into the new world. That and specifically through the wives of Noah's sons, and specifically then through the wife of his son Ham. And I think there's biblical evidence to support this. So, first of all, if, if the flood judgment serves several purposes. One, like as you said, it, it was to cleanse the world of the Nephilim giants before the flood, who I think would be, in terms of height, power, strength, were the worst of the worst. And I think they got progressively smaller and less powerful as time went on by the time he gets to Goliath. Yeah. But that was one purpose. The second was to punish the angels, the, the faction of fallen angels, of fallen angels, because it wasn't all of the fallen angels. It was a faction of them who committed this specific sin in Genesis 6. And, of course, we know from Jude and from Second Peter chapter 2, it says these angels who sinned, who committed fornication, God has bound them and locked them in the abyss under chains of darkness into the judgment of the great day. So unlike the devil who can roam to and fro on the earth, who can still go to heaven, right, and see God. We see this in the book of Job. He's standing before God's throne. He's not in hell. The devil we know is not in hell. The devil is not in the abyss. But these Genesis 6 angels, they have been locked away. So they, so they cannot commit this sin again. So, they are gone. So out of the third, Peter tells the third of the heavens fell yes. in deception. So we know that a third of these angels left their estate and and were basically all the glory of God was removed from them and they became what they are now. Out of those third that fell, only a part of them actually took part in Genesis 6. Is, Correct. That, and exactly. those are the exactly. ones that are in the abyss in Abaddon that is going to be opened up later yes. on. According to Revelation, exactly. It's from it. Exactly. Yes, they are. They are. They are still there. They are. They are at the presence. They uh, they remain under chains of darkness unto the judgment of the great day, which I believe is the great tribulation. Yeah. And so, so they're gone. So they can't commit it again. So, but so that's so that's the first thing. So they were removed. But there's something interesting about the the, the details of Noah's life, and I think this is what this is where we find the biblical evidence is that we know from scripture that Noah had his sons, uh, Shem, Ham, Japheth, when he was 500 years old, he started having children, which is very different from all the patriarchs <laughs> before him. They yeah. were all having children in their sixties, their fifties, their seventies, obviously the lifespans before the flood were much longer. I believe that men entered puberty in their fifties, essentially, which is why they start marrying and having kids in their sixties before the flood because of, because of the expanded lifespans. But we get to Noah, he did not have his first son until he was 500. Why does that matter? Because he stepped on the ark when he was 600 years old. So this, so the time he had his first son, he was well into the probation God had given humanity before the flood. God told Noah he'll give humanity 120 years and to basically essentially to repent before he would flood the world. Oh. So by the time... Noah had his first son, the testimony of scripture is all flesh had corrupted itself. It was being overrun by this genetic contamination from the Nephilim. 
So the odds of Noah's sons, by the time they were marrying age, of finding three women who were tamim, right? When it talks about in the Hebrew, that Noah was perfect in his generations, the word is tamim, which refers to physical perfection. The same term used for a sacrificial lamb has to be a lamb without blemish. That's tamim. So I believe it means that he was perfectly human. So he and his sons were 100% human, but to find those wives would be slim to none. That, that had no trace of this DNA. And then you look at Ham, who was not a believer, who could care less about the prophecy of the Messiah, the seed of the woman, and he was he was a rebel. He would have no concern about taking a woman who was part Nephilim. Yeah. So yeah. So so that's why. So that's that's the that's those are the two pieces of evidence. But the third is, and this is what I think um, is also pretty again the, the power of the word, the beauty of the Bible is that when you look at the post diluvian giants they are all traceable back to Canaan, the son of Ham. Hmm. So you can even see in Genesis 10 and 11, when they list Canaan's descendants, just go to Deuteronomy, when God says, there are seven nations I want you to eliminate in the land, in the land of Canaan. Remember, the whole land is named after Canaan, where all the post-Diluvian giants are. You know, so, and those seven nations are all his descendants, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Canaanites. These are all his descendants. So this was a targeted war at one specific lineage. And I believe that's actually why after the flood, when you have this uh, kind of mysterious sin of Ham <laughs> going into the tent of Noah and seeing him naked, whatever you think happened, that's a whole, that's a story for another day yeah. in that tent. Something happened bad. We know that. Yeah, like, yeah. Everyone agrees something bad happened, but yet Noah curses Canaan. He right. doesn't curse Ham. He curses Canaan. I believe because Canaan was already demonstrating that he was part Nephilim, and so so I've got a. I don't yeah, want to. I don't want to rabbit trail, yeah. but so I've done some study on that on that whole sin of Ham and sure and the the whole and I don't know where you stand on this or not. And you don't have to say if you don't want to, but uh, it was my understanding that Ham had actually had relations with his mom, and the, the term of you know, his father's nakedness was actually a term of seeing his mother. It was his, the covering of it, because the man would cover his wife, you know, and spiritually and, and all of that. And so that there was some kind of uh, forced rape on his mom. And so he cursed the son that would be born from Cain to his wife, which would actually be like his grandson, but it, through his son. Uh, weird. And, and so that was what I had heard about that. But can you imagine sure. this, though? Think about this. You're talking about Noah's sons waiting for their wives. <coughs> for all you single people out there, <laughs> and you think, where God, what are you doing? Imagine being one of Noah's three sons waiting for a pure blood to try and find someone that they can actually, like, find as a spouse to bring them. And they did find him. And they, God did. If God brought them. That's a sermon right there. I, I never even thought about that. That's, that's a great single sermon. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I needed that. You needed that. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking of the days of Noah. Right. Well, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. And, you know, and on the nakedness thing, you know, it's open. I, I, you know, I've heard that interpretation and it makes sense to me. The only thing I'll say, and this is why I'm not dogmatic on it, but I will say this, that when you look in uh, in Leviticus, I believe it's Leviticus 18 that references these, uh, the nakedness issue. In the Septuagint, which I, which I source, I, I cite in my books um, as it's the oldest uh existing version of the old testament yeah in that chapter in the septuagint it says it says it basically says it forbids 
in the same verse, looking upon the nakedness of your father, looking upon the nakedness of your mother. So it's a little different how we see it in other versions. So it, it, it so it opens it up that both can it could have been either. It yeah. still it still references that that your your mother's nakedness is uh your father's nakedness can be your mother. But it also has a separate sin of looking at the actual literal nakedness of your father. So, um, and then there's also, you know, some of the ancient interpretations. If you look in Josephus, he says it's a sin. It was a sin against by Ham against Noah. Not, so, right. so, also some ancient texts also say that Ham specifically did something to Noah. <laughs> the, the whole life thing is not mentioned. So, but I understand because it does. The scripture, the Bible, definitely says that an interpretation of your father's nakedness is actually something sexual essentially with your it, mother his it, wife we yeah. can all agree it was really bad <laughs> what, exactly. yeah. there's no gray that it was bad it was bad definitely, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well i was gonna say uh that even that last one going with Noah. this is <laughs> i don't know just go with me on this um because you were, we were talking about the days of noah and the days of lot and for uh ham to right be with Noah, that ties into the with Lot. I mean, yeah, that's, that's right. the, the, the homosexuality, it, homosexuality thing yeah, would yeah. be. I, yep. and, uh, I lean more towards that way. That's yeah. more where I, in terms of what happened in the tent. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And that's a good, and it's true. And, and Jesus uh, connects those, he connects those two eras mm-hmm. and the Bible connects it. Like if you look in Jude, it mentions the angels who sinned, but also mentions Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. In Second Peter, it mentions the angels who sinned, and also again mentions you know re- makes a reference to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so those two events are linked several times through Scripture, and of course Jesus said that as well. Mm-hmm. Said likewise, events of the days of Noah says likewise as was did. So there's so I lean more towards that. That's what happens uh, in, in in that in that mysterious tent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the tent I was going to say that something uh, I. Probably we will never know for sure, and I don't think I, yeah. I ain't asking when I get to heaven. That's right. for sure. I'm not asking. I don't care. I'm, right. I'm okay with uh, whatever. <laughs> I was gonna say though, I did uh, when you when you guys were just talking. There's a couple points, and I don't want to go maybe too far back, but um, th- these just stuck out to me when you were talking about the 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 that not all of the angels who fell of the third were the ones that actually committed uh, the sexual act. And I, I was going to say, it, it just, this point I just wrote down that I think Satan tricked, uh, There's it seems like there's double deception of some sort, or he was doing, uh, I don't know if it's double deception or he's doing something, but basically that he tricked the angels much in the same way that he tricked Eve of lying to this, you know, this, uh, you, you, a, a specific sub set of them or anything it's basically uh, the point i'm getting at is that he got these other angels to do something but he didn't do it and like exactly and he i don't know if he knew that they were going to get locked up uh, you know put down in there but i'm just saying it's it's very interesting again much in the same way i don't know if this is a connection but i I just was like oh that's interesting that again he got someone else to or other you know other people entities other entities uh (laughs) to do things that he did not do that would cause them to be, you know, like get put down in hell or be locked up while he's still kind of like, Oh yeah. You know, it just goes more to his nature. Uh, I just was very interesting to me. Yeah. Um, 
I was going to say another thing I wrote down is this is kind of more so a question of, or your view of this. Um, but if there was, you know, the subset of the angels who did uh, commit the, the sexual act and were killed and uh, that spawned the Nephilim, the ones who didn't, um, do you think that though, maybe, I don't want to say, uh, I guess maybe God would allow them, uh, I, I just wrote down, the ones who didn't fornicate are the ones who were still on the earth in a spiritual sense, and maybe those were the ones that wanted to be praised. So those are the ones because like throughout the Bible, um, you know, like the Prince of Persia is named uh, Daniel da- yeah. by name, and that, you know, uh, there, there's plenty of times throughout the Old Testament where, you know, other prophets or magicians of other you know, the, the Pharaoh's magicians, you know, they threw, I love this example, they threw down their staves and, you know, they turned into the snakes. And then uh, Moses threw down his and it turned into a, a, a snake and then it ate their snakes. But their, their staffs still turned into snakes, you know, like, so there is yeah. some power that is not from Yahweh, yeah. the, you know, the Lord of Israel, the, the one true God. There's other mysterious powers, you know, there's talking about... Uh, you know, just all throughout that there's other powers at play here that is not that. So do you think that those would be maybe the other angels, the fallen angels who aren't locked up? Would that be who those ones are as well? Or do you think, because uh, I know we haven't talked on demons, so I'm not sure if those would be demons or if there's still some hierarchy of ones that like, yeah, sure. are able to <clears throat> reign while the demons are the ones doing their own work, kind of like, God has his angels and then he has different ones doing different things, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, I, these are all great points. And I think, first of all, if I agree with you, your initial point, I actually mentioned this in my new book that I, I specifically have a section that says that the devil, that basically he performs a lot of evil acts by proxy. He uses proxies yeah. all the time. He'll let someone go before him and take, carry out his dirty work and then take the punishment. Well, he stays in the back. He does it with human beings all the time, so yeah. as well. So, yeah, I believe he did this. That's exactly what he did with the Genesis six rebels, on um, specifically. Uh, as for the rest of the fallen angels, yeah, I think that um, two things. So, you mentioned the Prince of Persia, so who I think is definitely a reference to a fallen angel who was not a part of the Genesis six fornication, mm-hmm. and Deuteronomy thirty two, I think mm-hmm. specifically, explains how God basically said. Uh, after the flood, that he he was going to divide the entire world up and give the 70 nations of the world to fallen angels. And I believe when we see that term in the New Testament, principalities, that yeah. that's what it's referring to, that they have a specific regions of the world that they have dominion over. And God said, I, but the Lord's portion is Israel. That God said, I'm going to make my own nation through one man, through Abraham. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of like, you know, the odds, you know, God, that's, those are God's odds. It's like, okay, you guys have... You take 99% of the world, you give me Israel, and we'll see who wins in the end. And that's how God, so I believe those angels definitely have dominion, like the Prince of Persia or the Prince of Greece, who the angel Gabriel is going to fight next um, on deck, essentially. Um, so yeah, so I believe that as well. And in terms of uh, the power, like you mentioned, you know, Pharaoh's sorcerers, Jonathan and John Brez, that they had real supernatural power. Definitely believe that that was literal power that they were summoning when they were performing their own miracles. Um, that I believe can come from fallen angels or from demons. I think the demons are much more on a kind of personal level yeah. 
empowering people, right? And I think we see an example of that in the book of Acts, where they talk about the woman who was a soothsayer, mm-hmm. and her masters were making money, and then, you know, the apostles cast the demon out of her, and, all, and everyone's mad because they're not making money anymore. So right. she had, I believe, literal supernatural power from the demon that was indwelling her. And I think that's what we see. I think that when we see witchcraft or the occult in scripture, much of that is coming from the demons who are the spirits of the dead Matthew. So um, I think that's That's more of their goals, empowering people and leading people. A lot of what demons do is leading people into idolatry. Mm -hmm. And I I have a whole chapter called The Religion of the Nephilim, where I believe basically saying that what took Israel down in the end wasn't war with the giants. They defeated the giants on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. It was their religion that they left behind and the demonic presences, the demonic forces in the land of Canaan that led to Israel being ultimately judged by God when they were destroyed by Assyria and then Babylon. Yeah. So, so uh, that makes Thank sense you. to me because yeah. Ephesians five talks about you know principalities, powers of the air. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would make that makes perfect sense. That's a great observation. Um, when so when you. We still haven't answered the question about the Nephilim after the flood. No, they came through for, the woman. Through, through Ham. Okay, Ham's that's wife. right, Ham's wife. Yeah. But yeah. so why don't we see giants today? Like what's – like where are they today? Yeah. yeah, so I think a great question. So I think that at least from the, from the – certainly from the scriptural account, the last giants that were left were uh, killed by David's mighty men. Okay. And you see these accounts in uh, in First and Second Chronicles where they have these kind of one on one battles between his mighty men and these last the last remnant of the giants who were basically located in Gath and Ashkelon. And in fact, the last Nephilim mentioned in the Bible is uh, he's called the Egyptian, hmm. and he's by one of David's mighty men. And the interesting thing is, in the very next chapter after he's killed, the very next verse, which is the next chapter, you see it says that. Satan then tempted David and David takes the census and God has to judge him. And so it was almost to me, my interpretation of that was that once these giants were out of the promised land, now the devil can't, the devil's out of proxies. Now he has to personally step in and personally attack David with sinful temptation and which, and and was successful in doing it. So I think that, uh, I think that, so I think from a biblical account, they were David's, elite soldiers essentially mm-hmm. um, wiped them out of the promised land. They were finally eradicated. And I think that there could have been giants outside of mm-hmm. basically the Middle East. It's possible that, you know, and we see accounts of this, like quote accounts uh, from even uh, Roman historians in the, in the early, in the first century, they had, they wrote of, uh, you have Tacitus, one of the greatest historians in the ancient world said that in, they had giant bone skeletons on display yeah. in ancient Rome. So he just <laughs> writes it plain as day. Wow. That you can just come and just like they had Og's bed on display in the capital of the Hamanite kingdom. Yeah. It's yeah. the same thing. So, yeah. So, uh, but certainly from the, in terms of the Bible and, and the Middle East, I think they, they were eradicated by David's uh, mighty men. Man. So what's your thoughts on, so we're moving forward now. So, so the, yes. the days of Noah, so it's not going to necessarily be giants coming back again that we're going to see walking around and, you know, the, the satanic, uh, you know, sexual relations with, you know, fallen angels and all that. But we will see the lot, which is the perversion and sort of the, it's almost like a religion in this sense now with, with all of that. Is that, 
something we could say could be a pinpoint for the future or what's coming in the future. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think, I think right now, you know, we're seeing all the previews, right. Of, of what's going to take place. I think in, in the great tribulation of the day of the Lord, in the sense that, yes, we see obviously the sexual perversion becoming, you know, celebrated, celebrated and, yeah. and yeah. not mandated in society, but also, um, not yet. Yeah, and also, but also genetic manipulation as well, right? With CRISPR, yes, yes. with all the efforts by Silicon Valley tech moguls to make life extension technology, they're seeking immortality, right? So all these things are moving us. Like, what what is inspiring these thoughts, right? I mean, even the word inspire, it has spirit in it, inspiration. So there's a spirit, I think, at work that's preparing us us meaning the whole world, believers and unbelievers, for what's to come from the from the evil side. And in terms of how this plays out in the end times, specifically with the angels and the Nephilim, you know, you have the prophecy in Daniel two forty three that says they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. So then and but not, but not cleave. So there is going to be on some level another attempt. And this again is why I wrote the final Nephilim because now it's explaining well how is this going to happen? Because as we already alluded to the angels, the faction of Genesis six who committed this committed this sin, they're locked in the abyss. But they're going to be released at the fifth trumpet. They, an angel falls from heaven, is given the key to the bottomless pit, and you see these beings come out who are called locusts. And I believe those are the angels. Mm-hmm. That's what scripture tells us. So they're going to come back, as well as the as well as the rest of the fallen angels being evicted from heaven permanently. We see this in Revelation twelve, where it says the devil has been cast out. He fights a war with Michael. And he says that woe to the inhabitants of the earth, for the devil has come upon you having great wrath. So, so, so I believe that that alone is a repetition of the flood. Mm. During the days of Noah, you had the water come from the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven. There was wow. water coming from the ground and water coming from the sky. Mm. In the great tribulation, you were going to have fallen angels coming from the ground out of the abyss and being cast from heaven. So it's the end times flood is being, <laughs> the end times flood is a fallen angelic flood. And so, and ultimately, how do we see them mingling? I think that the angels will try it in some form or fashion, but I also believe we're going to see it with the mark of the beast, yes. that the mark of the beast will have a genetic component. It will be the days of Noah where it's trying to corrupt us to make us something other than human, which is why if you take the mark, you are disqualified from salvation. There's no repentance. Why would that be unless it was a repetition of what happened in the days of Noah? Okay. I got two questions. Hold on. Don't You got to wait for me this time. Okay. <laughs> Wait, so, this time I yeah. always. <laughs> uh, so, you talk about the possibility of the mingling of the you know the angelic with the human flesh. Is that does that have anything connection with the Daniel prophecy with the clay and brass? You know, how it has the, the figure with the, the last the last one is the feet, brass mixed with clay. Is that a reference to that to you, or is it possible to make that leap there? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that when you get to in that in that prophecy of the statue that the the feet and the ten toes, that's the final kingdom, the kingdom of Antichrist. So I believe that iron is a reference to the angelic kingdom and the clay is human. Right. Humanity. Right. right? We are we are clay. And so that so that mixture, you see the feet are Mm -hmm. iron and miry miry clay is because, again, think about it this way. In the days of Noah, you had open interaction between angels and humanity, right? God spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden. The devil was standing next to Adam and Eve when they were judged. And of course, you had the Genesis 6 angels marrying women. Mm. 
and having so 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 what I call the veil that separates the human realm from the spirit realm was completely open in the days of Noah. Yeah. In the end times, it's going to be the same thing again. So mm-hmm. that's why the end times kingdom is going to be a fallen angelic kingdom. So fallen angels are going to be openly manifesting on earth before our eyes. So so that this leads me to my second question. Yeah. We, speaking for Rosie and I, are pre-tribulational rapture guys. I have been since I got saved in 1988. Um, it's before I was born. Before you were born, yeah. <laughs> I was saved before you were born, buddy. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I don't know where you stand on this. But so for me, it's like I'm hoping for the rapture, that the church will be evicted out. Boom, we're going to be lifted up and, you know, in ushered into the you know heaven and wait until the second coming and kind of yeah sure so watching it all this unfold yeah yeah exactly yeah, safely <laughs> safely right so is you talked about how like in the days no you had the flood and all of that yeah. by the way um there's a couple places in scripture where it talks about when it talks about humanity it references it as the sea like a sea of humanity, a sea of, of yeah, people. Yeah, absolutely, so yeah. that makes perfect sense of a flood, you know. Um, Fish, fishers of men, too. Yeah. Fishers of men, yeah, that's the, right. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. That, that, that yeah. blown my mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so Noah was a, was a, he's, you know, the ark was, you know, a symbol of Christ, of salvation. You know, get in the ark. Absolutely. Everyone's welcome. You can get in. Get in. For 120 years, he <laughs> preached to them, you know, and they just rejected it. So in my eyes, in you know, obviously it's it's debatable because, and it's not a salvation issue at all. And I'm just, you know, this is what I'm compelled to believe. But I believe that there is going to be a rapture that's going to occur. And it's probably sooner than later because I feel like the clock is really close. Like, I feel like when I look at current events and I see things happening, I, I mean, they probably felt this way at World War II, <laughs> you know? Yeah, definitely. Sure. But yeah. but uh, what's your what's your feelings on that? Is you yeah, absolutely. Sure. Um, yeah. So I, I definitely believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. So yes. Yes. I, I'm a little, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yes. I, I have the starting point of the tribulation, probably a little different from other people. I think the tribulation starts at the sixth seal, Okay. but I believe we would go before that happens, that we will not experience any part of the great tribulation or the day of the Lord. And I think even the, the, like you mentioned, the ark, I absolutely believe, is a foreshadow of Christ, the symbol of Christ, being in Christ. This is Noah was in the ark, but I think that that's also a foreshadow of the rapture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, what did God say? And I, and I love that. This, the, you know, I love the small details in Scripture that God had, you know, had Noah and his family get on the ark for seven days before the rain started. Mm-hmm. And it's just God closed the door. Mm-hmm. So once God saw this, so they're in there, no rain, but Noah's not preaching anymore for yeah. seven days, safe, and then the judgment begins. So I think even that is a is all a foreshadow that we're going to be taken away, and God's going to close the door, and everyone else is left out to judgment, and that's the, that's the great tribulation. We see the same thing with Lot. Mm-hmm. The angel specifically tells Lot, "We can nothing, we can nothing will happen until we get you out of the city." That's right. The judgment is not going to come until we remove you, and then God will rain down fire and brimstone. So I think all these things are God showing us time and time again. And there are many, I think, many foreshadows that show this in Scripture that God removes His believers first, and then judges the the, the unbelieving world. Yeah, and 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 so your thoughts on the Antichrist now? Well, 
in, in your opinion, is the Antichrist going to be a fully man and fully possessed by Satan or partially possessed by time? Like, what's your thoughts on that kind of deal? Yeah, no, great, great point. Great point. So he, so he, so the Antichrist, you guys are already hitting on the concepts from my new book. So the Antichrist, <laughs> I believe, no, this is awesome. This is great. So, so I, so he, I believe he is the final Nephilim. So again, Genesis 3.15 God said, we all agree, theologians, scholars, pastors, we Christians, we almost universally agree that the seed of the woman is Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. a literal person, literal, it was not symbolic, it wasn't an allegory, a metaphor, that was talking about a person, Christ Jesus, the man Christ Jesus. But God said, I'll put enmity between thy seed and her seed. Mm. So he also told the devil, he said, he told the devil, your conqueror is going to be born but you also said you're going to have a seed one day. Hmm. And I think, again, by the same interpretation, it's in the same verse that, that, that that's who the Antichrist is, that he is the literal seed of the devil, the actual child, just as Jesus is a literal person, a literal child yeah. who was born in a manger. So, so yes, I think he'll be both a Nephilim and as well possessed. I believe that when he... In Revelation 13, where it says that he suffers a deadly wound and is healed, mm-hmm. that that is when he is possessed by this fallen angelic spirit from the abyss. Because it says that, it says repeatedly in Revelation that the beast ascends from the abyss. So what is he? Is he, a, is he a spirit or is he a man? Well, it calls him a man that says he's also a beast, hmm. right? It says he has the number of a man, but it calls him the beast. Repeatedly, Revelation 13 goes back and forth. Why? Because he's a hybrid. Yeah. He's part fallen angelic, he's part human, and he gets possessed when he dies and comes back to life. But obviously via satanic power, when he's is healed of his mortal wound, I believe that's when the spirit of Apollyon, Abaddon, possesses him and takes him over. Okay. I was going to say, because you asked me this <clears throat> question, or you, you hit the question I was going to ask. Oh, sorry. Um, I took some notes. I, I don't mean to keep jumping back, but... Uh, I think we kind of just marked over this and I think it's totally okay because our audience at this point, we talk about the Nephilim for like a lot, three years now. Yeah. <laughs> so they're used to, um, but I was going to say that the, you had talked about this whole point and this is going to the current discussion that the fact that the Nephilim, uh, the Nephilim who were the, the giants, the, the, the babies of the angels and the women or these giants, when they are died, they are not able to uh, be judged either way. They, their, their spirit, because the the Bible says we're made out of. Uh, we have the body, the soul, the spirit, right? And it's the soul. I always get the two confused. Which is the one that your is spirit's saved. eternal. Your spirit. So they're born without the soul. Was, are you talking about the giants? The yeah, yeah, yeah. But basically, the the reason. Uh, but I'll just ha- have you explain it. Why can't the Nephilim, why are they trapped here as demons? Yeah, sure. So I think that they are primarily, first of all, they're, they're born outside of God's genetic order. Sure. Genetics are very important in scripture, especially in the book of Genesis, mm-hmm. that God is very, and I, and I think that during the days of Noah, there was all sorts of hybridization programs being run by fallen angels. Yes. And so the Nephilim were one example where God, since they're outside of creation, there's no salvation for them. And if you go going back to Turner's point that he brought up earlier about the spiritual inheritance, 
that we inherit the corrupt spirit from Adam and Adam all die. I believe that because they have the corrupt spirit, human spirit, plus a corrupted fallen angelic spirit combined, that is why they were so intensely evil, right? Yes. It says that the thoughts of man are only evil continually in scripture. I mean, think about it. We take, we read these details and we just kind of gloss over them. But God is saying that literally all people were thinking about evil, evil constantly all day. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's an accelerated evil nature. And again, looking back at the ark, God told Noah, bring on animals after their kind. That's genetic language. So God, yeah. I believe even the animals were being hybridized, which is why I think where you see things like the Minotaur, yes, you see Anubis yes. who has a dog's head and a human body in Egyptian mythology. I think these beings are all from that era. Absolutely. And so God said, I only want the animals that I originally created on the ark. And that's it. I don't want the half goat, half dog. I don't want the dog man, like just <laughs> the animals I created. And so I think that's, so again, a Nephilim is outside of that completely. And so that's why when they die, their spirits just roam the earth. Yes. And I think it's also, again, one other thing that shows that the Nephilim are different from angels is that much of what I talk about in the Wars of Canaan in my first book is that when you look at those battles of Joshua and Moses, that when they go to battle, it's the angel of the Lord, which I believe is Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, who's really doing the fighting. Mm-hmm. He leads the battle. He wipes out the armies and the Israelites come behind and they're like the cleanup crew. So he's the one who's killing the giants over and over again. And then again, their spirits are the demons. Fast forward to the New Testament. Now Jesus is walking the earth in his ministry. The demons see him and they know who he is immediately. Yes, They always know exactly who he is. And they they proclaim and say, you are the Christ. You are the son of God. And they are scared to death of him. Why? Because he's the one who killed them. Thousands of years earlier in the promised land, in the land of Canaan. He's the one who killed him. Now they see he's back and they say, don't punish us. And it's interesting that they even tell him, don't send us to the abyss. They don't want to go where their fathers went. So they're aware of what happened in the days of Noah. They say, don't send us there. And we see the legion, that man legion, because he's possessed by thousands of demons. They beg him not to go to the abusos, to the bottomless pit. And what does Jesus do? He puts them in unclean animals, spiritually unclean animals, and pigs. And they rush into the water and drown. So it was almost like I call that a reenactment of the judgment of the Nephilim right in front of us in the New Testament. So, yeah. so it's like they drown. Exactly how they, yeah. they drown like in the flood. Yeah. That's amazing. That's <laughs> yeah. um, so I was going to thank you so much. That was so much better than what I was going <laughs> to try to <laughs> haphazardly uh, explain. Um, but so for that whole fact, th- this is going to sound kind of crazy uh, maybe, but – so we were talking about CRISPR. That's when I wrote down these and the genetic uh, modifying of all that stuff again. And this is kind of a recent, I haven't shared this with you, but I was thinking about that for this podcast for the, to ask you about it. <laughs> so in the, in uh, you had said uh, that it's going to be, you know, the antichrist will be a human. Uh, that is that the hybrid. Yeah. The hybrid of, Maybe I, I would say, I don't want to use the same term to describe Jesus's birth as a miraculous birth, as in the, there is no f- human father. So I'll say that literal, you know, it, it will probably be a mockery. It might be like, as soon as you were saying it, I could see it, that it would be a virgin girl who is a virgin. You know, there's no denying that fact that Satan uses impregnates um, to deceive all the world when this 
boy comes up, you know, that would be some sort of thing. I, I could see that as a possible thing that Satan would try to do to win more people to him and all that stuff. But uh, so if we're in this thing and we're thinking about the the the, the clone, do you think uh, – so this is going to be a really weird question. Do you think that when this – the Antichrist is originally killed and then he's brought back to life. Do you think that, and then you were saying that's when he gets possessed by the, the spirit. Do you think that that might be um, like through, this is a possibility that he might be th this second person that gets brought back up would physically be a clone. So it wouldn't be the exact same person, but it would be the exact same person. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? That it, it would be the exact same yeah. person? Yeah, no I, no, I understand exactly what you're saying, that it's like kind of like a replica body of him. So yeah. I, 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 actually, I actually think he will come back from the dead, and I think you hit on an important point, right? So one, uh, so you said, it, you said, and again, this is in my book, that he is a mimicry. This is all, this, Satan is trying to mimic. Remember, he's a deception. The Antichrist, is a, he, is the, he is the strong delusion, the strong on delusions that people are going to believe he's God. Mm -hmm. So he's going to, the devil is going to mimic everything that God did with Jesus to the best he can. Right. So he's not God. So he can't do it a hundred percent. He's going to try and copy everything. So I think, and if you look, when you look at revelation 13, it's really the death and healing from the mortal wound more than anything. That's the point. The world says who is like unto the beast. So that's really critical that, that that's what's going to essentially win the world over to say, wait a second, this who's there's no one like him. He is God. And so I think that he will come back. And I think what I point to is there are two examples I think that foreshadow this uh, in Scripture. I have a chapter in my new book called Foreshadows the Antichrist. The first is King Nebuchadnezzar. Hmm. And, I, and I point to Daniel chapter four, where King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of this tree that's cut down and he doesn't know what it means. And Daniel says, the tree is you. And essentially, if you don't repent, God's going to judge you. He's going to cut you down. And of course, he doesn't repent. And you have the watcher angels come and say, take his heart from him and give him a beast's heart. He's literally transformed and lives as a, a human-animal hybrid for seven years. This is let seven times, seven years pass over him. So his punishment from these angels it says, by decree of the watchers, by decree of the holy ones, was to be transformed into this half man, half beast for seven years. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's a foreshadow of the Antichrist. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar put up a statue of himself and said, worship me mm -hmm. or you die. Exactly what the Antichrist will do. It was 60 cubits tall, six cubits wide, six instruments played when it was time <laughs> to worship him. Six, six, six. Yeah. So we see all see how God is rippling. This is what I talk. I call this quantum repetition. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. God is repeating and letting prophecies ripple through time. So I believe He's one half of the puzzle, and I believe the other half of figuring out how the what the Antichrist is is Judas. Hmm. Judas, remember Jesus said of Judas, hmm. He said that, you know, He He said, "Have I not picked all you twelve? But one of you is a devil." Mm -hmm. And so he calls him a devil, but the Greek is the definitive article. He actually calls him dia Diabolos, which is the devil, which is a term that's only used for Satan. Mm -hmm. He also called Judas the son of perdition, mm -hmm. which in Second Thessalonians, Paul calls the Antichrist the son of perdition. Again, notice the language. He's a son, meaning he's a father, which yeah. is the devil. And so what we see with Judas that I, I found fascinating is he, Judas is the only person in the Bible 
who is possessed by Satan. Yeah. When he's getting ready to go and go to the Pharisees to turn to frame Jesus, the devil indwells him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that really, um, I really spent a lot of time on it. I'm like, you know, that's really, it just fascinated me. And I think that's a preview also of the Antichrist, that he's going to be indwelled, not by the devil, but by the spirit that comes from the abyss when he's brought back from this mortal wound, however the devil was able to achieve that. So I think it's going to be his same body. And I think that's important that people see that he died. He gets yeah. a wound and he's back. That And the world's like, whoa, wait a second. This this must be the savior because look, he, he's alive. He overcame death. And I think that's also what the Antichrist offers mm-hmm. humanity. Yeah, I think he says, and, if yeah. you take my mark, you can have my power. You will be one with me. And I think that's where the mingling comes in. He's going to mingle his seed, his his DNA with humanity. And isn't it interesting that again, the fifth trumpet, the spirit overtakes him. He's back from the dead. And then all of a sudden for five months, no one can die. Mm-hmm. Right. So that men shall seek death and they cannot find they it. Can no one can yeah. die. Because I think they're taking the mark to be like him. And now God unleashes this judgment where they, now everyone wants to die. The yeah. one time people have immortality, and God, all they want to do is die because these locusts are punishing them and tormenting them. And so I think wow. that's how this all kind of plays out. So where does <laughs> – that's um, that's really amazing. I never put those things together, but yeah. that's so cool. Okay, I've heard that Nimrod is an Antichrist figure as well. What, sure. What's your thoughts sure. on Nimrod? Because I know he's – you know. He's a big figure in the Old Testament during the Genesis, you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I just did a, a, pod, a podcast about Nimrod oh, <laughs> uh, really? last week. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really, um, yeah. So he's fascinating. So, so I think so. So two things on Nimrod. One, he's the one figure I think that it's it's um it's he could have potentially been a Nephilim, and how that happened. So so in the, so we see that in Genesis when he's introduced. One clearly, he's there was something something very, very infamous and I think supernatural and demonic going on with him. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it says that, you know, he became a mighty one, but in the Septuagint, in one verse, three times he uses the word giant. So that he became a giant. So it is said, Nimrod, the giant hunter before the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so, so I look at that and say, okay, well, what, what's going on with him? And then if you look in older, I, I quote some some of the older theologians, and they keep they make references to say he had the spirit of the fallen angels before the flood in him, hmm. and so a lot of the theologians of centuries gone by make a connection between him and the days of Noah, and then also I definitely believe that when he built the Tower of Babel, he was trying to go back to that era. He was trying to access the spiritual realm. That was a spiritual goal behind the tower mm-hmm. that he was trying to somehow breach the veil. Mm. and bring back the fallen angels again and the fact that he covered it with tar so he was aware of the flood judgment he made it waterproof he used bitumen <laughs> the same thing that noah used as pitch they call it pitch in genesis yeah. 6 yeah so he knew so he's thinking days of noah i want to get back to this and i want if the flood comes again i'm ready for it so i think awesome. so so i think there's some connection that maybe through some ritual or somehow he was changed to a nephilim in some way yeah. form or fashion but as an Antichrist figure, definitely agree. And so uh, there's a mysterious passage in Revelation 17 where an, the angel speaking to John and says that he, he shows him the seven-headed beast. And he's explaining that I shall tell you what this beast is. And he says that there are seven kings. Five are fallen. One is. 
and one is yet to come. And when he comes, he's so continuous, a short space. And the eighth is the beast who is of the seven. And so I get into this concept that these, this spirit, this, these seven Kings is what I believe what it's telling us that this, this spirit of the beast has incarnated seven times on earth throughout yeah. biblical history. Wow. And the eighth will be the antichrist. And so um, I believe the first of those incarnations was Nimrod. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we see, you know, he wanted, he wanted a global government at Tower of Babel. He wanted to unite the world in one government, in one religion. And even when you look, and I think one of the most astounding passages in, 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 that whole, in Genesis is when God, God himself, the Lord, commenting on the Tower of Babel says, if they do this thing, nothing will be restrained from them, which they imagined to do. That somehow yeah. it was going to access some power that whatever they wanted to do, they can achieve. So I think he... Wow was a total uh, antichrist foreshadow, if not an incarnation of the same spirit that keeps popping up and out of the abyss throughout time. Yeah, I was going to ask just exactly what you had just said. Um, I, I can't remember. I remember hearing some uh, preacher, I think it was John MacArthur, actually, which was pretty wild to hear from him. But he was talking about <laughs> um, the antichrist and the, the same thing, uh, basically that uh, like he pointed to Adolf Hitler because Hitler was... I mean, he particularly targeted, you know, the, and he didn't talk. I mean, anyone that knows John McCarthy, he doesn't talk about the Nephilim or any of this stuff. Um, but he was talking, you know, like the occult stuff, kind of like Nimrod, where he was trying to access this. He was doing, I don't know if, you know, they, I think it was in the 30s, the Nazis sent um, like a group of guys to Tibet to go hang out with the Tibetan monks and learn all this. And they came back and, you know, they were doing all kinds of just crazy esoteric, uh, you know, with the Vril society and uh, you know, very, very esoteric and uh, evil and all that stuff. And uh, he was basically saying much in the same way that you had pointed to with these seven different people or the, the incarnations or the, the, what you had said of the antichrist and the eighth one will be him. Um, do you think that kind of throughout this, uh, a generation, maybe that there will be some sort of, uh, cause I think Paul talks about there, there'll be many antichrists, little antichrists, but one antichrist that maybe Satan raises up each in a generation as a possibility because he doesn't know God's timeline. That's the whole thing is that that's why he has to, he brings up all these ones as he's coming just in case the time is right because he's still dependent upon God to work out God's plan. So do you think that that would be consistent with uh, the Antichrist kind of raising up one of his own to have in wait as soon as he sees all the things happen and maybe is even allowed to go through and do what he's going to do anyways? Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a, an amazing point, actually. So I think that's really, I think you're right. I think he doesn't know the timing. The devil doesn't know the timing. And so, um, yeah, so I, I and certainly in terms of Adolf Hitler, I mean everything is absolutely correct. I mean they were that that was they were occultists. Yeah, you know, they were open witchcraft practitioners trying to do everything to access the full angelic demonic realm. So, uh, so I think he definitely qualifies as a little a antichrist for sure. And you see what even what he was doing, he's persecuting Israel, trying to wipe out mm-hmm. the nation of Israel. And I think there's a uh, an important prophetic. Uh, there's a prophetic principle in that, and in, in that so we already know Genesis three fifteen. The mission was the 
the birth of the Messiah. That happened, right? The devil's well aware that the Messiah right. was born. He was defeated. And they said, if, had they known who he was, they would have never crucified him. So he already yeah. missed that. So then why does Israel even matter now? Well, prophetically, at his first coming, the Lord said, he will not return until they say, blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. Time and time again, Jesus connects his second coming to the reconciliation of Israel. Israel has to acknowledge him, and then he comes. So if Israel's wiped out, then that can't be fulfilled. Right. So again, the devil is trying. It all comes back to prophecy, that the right. devil is racing to try and upend God's prophecy. God told him, this is what's going to happen. Jesus said, I, I'm not coming back until you acknowledge me for who I truly am, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. Yeah. So the devil knows this. And so now it's about trying, rather than trying to prevent the birth of the Messiah, which already happened, now it's about, well, if I can get Israel, if I can either destroy Israel, then Christ won't come. Yeah. If I can't do that, I'll get them to worship my Messiah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they don't call on Jesus. And so... It's kind of it's kind of funny. It reminds me, if you've ever been to Israel, uh, if you go up on the Mount of Olives, um, you can look over and see into the, the Temple Mount area. And on the, I think it's the Eastern Wall... Uh, the Muslims have buried. They made a cem- They bought land there and buried a bunch of dead bodies. There's. It's a cemetery right on the. And according to scripture, that Jesus is going to return and put his foot on the Mount of Olives, and it's going to split the. And he'll walk yeah. through. You know, he's going to walk through that eastern gate again. And uh, they put that cemetery there just to stop the Messiah because he can't touch a dead body. You know, Rabbi can't. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. according to the to the the Deuteronomic law or whatever and Mosaic law. And, uh, or, um, uh, yeah, Mosaic law. And, uh, so, <laughs> but what's funny to me is in all of these attempts, you cannot thwart God. Like, I mean, yeah. he, he raises the dead, right? So why wouldn't, when he touches his, why, or wouldn't he just split them apart so far that they would, you know, I mean, there's nothing you can do to stop what God's going to do. And the fact that he's told us all of these things so long ago, and even the book of Revelation, which is so mysterious to so many people, how it just confirms, and, and it literally is the last link in that chain, you know, of structure and order that God's put in place. Uh, why would anyone want to do anything other than turn to Jesus? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't get it. Like, <laughs> it just blows my mind when I think about it. Like, I'm so encouraged just listening to you talk because this is my God, the mm-hmm. one who, even though it's so bleak and it's so dark and and what's going to happen on earth it will it'll be like has never happened before we've never seen before it's gonna be terrifying um and it's all gonna be justified by a holy god but at the same time it's still merciful yeah (laughs) you know it could be worse like forever and because like anyone listening right now can hear this they can turn to christ fully today and find salvation and escape all of that Mm -hmm. through the forgiveness of their sins and and they can be released from that future 100%. You know, why? It just blows me away that people, Amen. you know. <laughs> Amen. And, you know, and that's, and that's why I think, I think that's why I think, you know, uh, podcasts like yours are so important. Because, again, God said, if you want to know who I am and you want to know I'm, I'm really God, look to my prophecies. Yeah. And you won't find there's no other religious book that has prophecy. No. The Quran does not have, have, doesn't have end times prophecy. So it's so, you know, so again, and much less ones that have come true, that we can right. verify that have right. come true. Right. And then, so I think it's just, I agree with you a thousand percent, that it's 
so powerful as a witness to say, look, God is showing us. God is saying, look, I'm going to show you everything that's going to happen and that we can take comfort in that. And if we're not a believer, we can know, wow, that God is God. God does not operate on blind faith. Mm-hmm. You know, the example I always bring up is people say, well, you know, how can God tell Abraham, take your son up on a mountain and offer him as a sacrifice? Remember, God told him before that your lineage is going to come through this son. Right. Isaac had no children at that point. Right. So right. he hadn't had a kid yet. He somehow, some way, God was not going to let him die on that mountain. So again, God <laughs> wants informed faith, not blind faith. He wants yeah, to, so he's, that's again, right. he's telling us, and prophecy is so powerful to understand that. And wouldn't it be great, since we now we're getting them preaching, well, wouldn't it be great <laughs> if we had Christians acting like Noah, telling people, look, mm-hmm. this judgment's coming. Get on the boat. You need to be raptured out of here. And so I think that we need that. It's so important to talk about these things because it keeps our eyes and our hearts and our minds on the eternal perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're wasting so much time as Christians in earthly temporal battles. Yeah. When we're thinking about this end times, we should be telling the, the unsaved world needs to know what's coming. That's, right. that's what Noah did for 120 years. Yeah. And I believe it never rained until the flood. Yeah, I believe that's testimony of scripture. So, it had, so he's telling people, look, something's coming that they've never even imagined could happen, right. and yet he's telling them for 120 years, preaching and preaching and preaching. Right. Wouldn't it be great if the church started acting like? Since Jesus told us, <laughs> as it was in the days of Noah, we're supposed to be like we're we're the Noah in that story. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> we're that's the right. modern day Noah. That's what that's what our, the role we play in the end times, you know, event. We're yeah. supposed to be Noah, telling yeah. people, look, this is coming. We get on the rapture ark, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and make sure you have a seat. Yeah. So we can all t- together watch this from heaven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to be much better be view. Watching all this <laughs> yeah. We'll go get a glass of new wine and uh, watch it all unfold, exactly. right? <laughs> um, you know, when you were talking about Abraham taking Isaac up, it, when you get to the Hall of Faith in Hebrews, it talks about yeah. how Abraham believed God uh, that God would even raise him from the dead, even if he did. Uh, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. so he's a con- he's mm-hmm. like commended for his faith. He's like he didn't even believe that if God even let him kill him, and he got pretty close. I mean, the knife was raised. It, it was <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like uh, right there, you know. But man, you know, I was gonna say one point. Just, point. just a small thing, uh, man. That was so powerful. Just the. Like, cause that's something I, I, I completely always overlook, uh, what you're just talking about again with Isaac that like, there's, you know, God is very, uh, I don't want to say he's very, at the same time that all this stuff is happening, we're talking about all the, the revelation and the prophecy and all this stuff. He's also pragmatic and like very practical because he is ta- he actually took real life steps that he guided like actual things still happened it's not like uh i mean that's the whole thing that we're talking about the the plan satan's trying to figure out is it going to come through this guy is it going to come through that guy like how is it practically going to play out and i was going to say to just to just reiterate that cuz it was so powerful to me is that yeah uh, he knew that like god had said like on a practical sense he's like i don't have any other sons God told me it's going to come through him. There is no other son. So, yeah, in some way, you know, this is, he might have even known it was a test, but, you know, that doesn't mean anything to me. You know, like, there's, I, I can doubt so much all the time. You're like, I already know, like, all this stuff that I know right. that, you know, like, I know God won. I is wins in the end. He's already won. Everything is finished. It's been complete. I am 
secure in salvation, you know, like all that. I, I, I should rest assured in all that, you know, like, and I do. But then at the same time, I, I, I doubt and, you know, come up with all these, you know, just everything, daily life kind of stuff. And uh, when you were just, Turner, when you had talked about like in the Hall of Faith that, you know, I don't know if that was, a, but there's other people that are listed in the Hall of Faith who throughout the Bible were not, they were perfect in the fact that they never forsake God. They never turned to idolatry. They never wavered in their actual faith. But there's a lot of times with a lot of those guys where they sinned, where they doubted God, where they're like, are you sure? Or, you know, like this stuff. And they, you know, came to repentance and all that stuff. But I think that at the same time, when we're saying, you know, be bold and proclaim and talk about all that in the same way, like just, you know, uh, to give faith that there's uh, the human aspect of this. um, And I don't think we are overblowing, but I just think is a good, another reminder to like, it is okay to like, not understand all this stuff that we're talking about, or might go like, oh, you know, that's too much, or I don't understand it, or I'm still confused, or I have more questions. And if I'm confused about this, or something that we talked about, or other stuff that we didn't talk about in the Bible that might be kind of weird, and we don't know how to explain it or understand it or how that uh, we can practically act, uh, you know, how is that applicable to our daily lives that, you know, just take, take fact that, you know, that everything is overcome. He has overcome the world. We are safe. We are, we are, you know, cannot be harmed. We, the worst that can happen to us here on earth is that we die. Which is game. Which is the best thing ever. Like, so there's, there's no worse thing. Yeah. Um, and so just like take heart, you know, like the, that it's okay to have doubts or not understand with specific things or we don't have to be perfect all the time, except that we don't turn to idolatry, don't turn <laughs> into all these things that like we were talking about, the temptation or the, the, the you know, the gift of immortality, it's not a gift of immortality, it'll be, you know, brought to us as a gift of immortality or all these things that whenever we're tempted by that there is the whole thing that we're talking about is there is a spiritual realm that is constantly attacking us, you know, the put on the full armor of God, right? When it's talking about the powers and principalities. So just, you know, so hang in there guys. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That was, that was really long winded. I'm sorry. No, that's good. Ryan, I have, I know we've been going for about an hour and I don't want to keep you too long. I know you, you've got a family and stuff, but um, I have one other question about that you mentioned sure, sure. and I got to bring this up and the mark of the beast, you talked about that. Mm. And you, and so if I'm, if I'm understanding what you said that you're in, and I could be wrong on this. Are you saying that basically when someone takes the mark, they're actually getting some sort of piece of genetic uh, all from the antichrist into their system. And so it alters them. And, and so, yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. Yes, I believe that's what I believe that's that's the ultimate uh, kind of goal behind the mark. Yes, it has. A, there's obviously a, a commercial aspect to it, the yeah. buying and selling. Yeah. You can't participate in society basically without it. Yeah. But I think what yeah. it's ultimately doing is, again, going back to Genesis six, it is making you something other than an image bearer of God by changing you genetically. Becoming, you're becoming something like the Nephilim. You're, you're, you're taking on the DNA of the fallen angel, of the devil, essentially. So, and that is why there's no repentance for it. What do you think that's going to come as? I know you mentioned CRISPR. You mentioned some stuff. You think, is this—I don't want to say 
it's the vaccine, yeah, yeah, sure. you know, but yeah. it says, <laughs> yeah, no. it says we'll, no, no. we'll know that it's like, yeah, we are making I, a choice to take that's the an mark. important question. Right? That's a very important question. Yeah. So I think that's, that's a very, that's a great question. Important point. Cause I get asked this question a lot about, yeah. about the vaccine. Is it, and so I think Rosie's right that it, it's going, this is going to be again. I, I know I keep saying this cause it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, <laughs> It's a repetition and a repetition, right? So I, I keep repeating myself about the same that the Bible repeats events, mm-hmm. and I compare the mark of the beast. So I think it's going to be one totally announced. You, will, everyone will absolutely know what they're doing. It's not going to be secret. It's not going to be presented as this is a vaccine, this is medicine, or anything like that. You're going to be told that you you're going to know exactly what you're doing. That because I think everything in the Bible comes down to choice. Mm-hmm. And think about, and I think, and what I compare it to in my new book is the garden of eden in the sense that one obviously adam and eve had a clear choice god told them in no uncertain terms if you eat this you will die i mean how much there's very, it's very simple instructions eat from this tree you die yet and of course they, they ate from it and then god banishes them from the garden and says lest they eat from the tree of life and live forever. And I think, so why did God do that? And I think because he knew that once they had sinned, they had a corrupted nature. So if they ate from that tree, they'd be immortal as corrupted beings. Uh, so God said, I have to get them out of the garden. Yeah. And I believe that's the mark of the beast all over again. Right. They, if you take the mark, now you're corrupted forever. Mm. So you can no longer be redeemed. And so I think it's, again, a repetition through time because God said he showed us the end from the beginning. Yeah. And that's why he kicked them out. Because I've always found an issue. Why did God say they can't even tree of life? Because they'd be permanently corrupted and he could, he could no longer be redeemed. That's right. And I think that's what the mark of the beast will ultimately do to those who take it. Yeah. And that's why in Revelation, at the end, you see the tree of life show, show up again. And we get to we get to eat of it because we're perfected because we're made like Christ, and so that whole sin nature is destroyed. And so Amen. we, yeah, so we get the to the beginning eat. is the end. The end is the beginning. <laughs> you see, you're starting to get the theme of my book now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I've been. I don't. I know I've been off camera, but I've been like just. Oh my goodness! It's hit me. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. You also know my site is called Beginning and End. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So all this, none of this is coincidence. This yeah, has been a theme yeah. in my mind for a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I just thank the Lord for your gift to be able to discern these things and to really parse them out. Mm-hmm. Because it's when when you're sharing that, and I'm not trying to puff you up at all. And I, you already told me, you said, all glory to God, like when we were, Amen. before we started recording. So I know your heart on this, but it is it is worth sharing with you because, you know, the teacher deserves to hear the good things, right? <laughs> you know, and I would just say that when you share these things and you parse them out and you make them easy to digest and understand and connect these dots, these big concepts become very understandable yes. and, re- and they're, they're practical. So, you know, even like just that whole idea with the mark of the beast, I've heard some unbelievable things about what the mark of the beast is, what it isn't, you know, from aliens to, uh, you know, to every, who knows, you know, it could yeah. be anything. So um, that's just so helpful. I just really appreciate your approach to this and the way that mm-hmm. you do it. And um, so where can, you, you mentioned your website, your podcast, where can people find you the most? What's the best sure. place? Sure. So, uh, so, uh, 
I, I try to make it as simple. So Judgment of the Nephilim is my book, but judgmentofthenephilim.com is my website. Um, my Facebook and my Instagram are also Judgment of the Nephilim. My YouTube channel is Judgment of the Nephilim. I have a seven-part series that I'm working on that I've been putting out. I think I think part five is going to come out probably tomorrow. Uh, my new, I call it the Final Nephilim series. I have new stuff out on on episode on Nimrod and episode on the Veil, one on quantum physics. Uh, and uh, so yeah, so that's so you can find me. That's the main ways to find me. And of course, my blog site is beginningand.com. But any definitely on social media. Uh, feel free to contact me. I love taking questions, and I even do a show now. I do a show Thursday night theology where I take, because cool. I get asked a lot of questions, so I pick three questions every week on Thursday night and do a live show answering them on oh, YouTube, wow. my YouTube and Facebook. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to log I'm on. I'm going to be on there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you might yeah, get a question absolutely. from me. <laughs> yeah. Hey, good. Hey, I welcome it, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. You have some great questions, by the way. This has been, I want to say, to give, to give you know, uh, credit back to both of you as teachers uh, to your respective audiences. This, uh, this, is, this is what I love, is that when... It, I, it's a weird, I'm a, I'm a sports fanatic. I played a lot of sports growing up with sports mm-hmm. fanatic. And I said, how I always talk about how it's very, so easy for me to go out to a, I can go to a restaurant and stand next to a guy. I don't know if there's a TV on with a football game, we can talk and get into a conversation in minutes. Yeah. And so it's the same thing when you're speaking to brothers or sisters in the world who really care about the word and these things, it's, it makes the interviews phenomenal. Your questions have been so good. And I'm, I'm honestly blown away that you've, you've asked questions that are so many sections of my new book that was just released <laughs> 48 hours ago. And it's, it's because you're, because you were in the word. So I think I appreciate your passion for knowing God's words, for searching these things out. Cause this is what God wants us to do. And so this is what made this interview so phenomenal. I mean, I, I'm blown away that you guys literally hit on probably eight different things that I have subheadings for in my book. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, but Mike- this is what happened. You get together and we have a, we care about God's word. Yeah. And so I appreciate both of you. Yeah. Well, we're going to, you know, we're going to keep whatever, you know, we're going to keep an eye on what you're doing. And uh, if you get whatever your next book open is. Door. Yeah, whatever o- you totally open door. Yeah. Anytime. <laughs> that would be an honor for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because before you even came on, you had already had a huge impact on us because yeah. we listened to your podcast and stuff. But um, man, so I want to encourage all of our listeners to go check out Beginning and End and then uh, Judgment of the Nephilim. The Final Nephilim. The Final Nephilim. Get those books, you know, help him out. He's got kids. He needs to put <laughs> shoes on their feet. You know? <laughs> uh, but, uh, but you will be blessed in return because you'll gain knowledge in areas that will give you confidence. And look, look you, you, when you trust in God's word, you can share it with boldness. And that is what the Holy Spirit loves because he wants us just to be obedient. Once we're obedient, he does all the hard work. Yeah. So you never know what uh, what could happen. Just if, like Jonah. Just he like came, Jonah. He came out and just said seven <laughs> words or so. He fought it, but he did. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. 100,000 yeah. people turned and it was a good ending. But man. With a prophecy, by the way. Yes. 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 I, again, the power of prophecy. Right. Yeah, that's exactly. right. He he told him, look, if you don't repent, you're going to be gone. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't even want him to come. That's what's so funny. Is yeah. he's just, he didn't yeah. even want him to repent. He's like, ah. But, 
But yeah. uh, man, well, thank you so much, Ryan, for joining us on on this episode. And and uh, whenever you write your next book, <laughs> you probably feel like I don't want to write another book yet. <laughs> but I'm sure God's got something for you uh, in that front, and we're looking forward to that. And uh, we'll encourage our list. We'll put all the links to your websites and everything in yeah, sure. yeah. in the show notes. And uh, follow him on Instagram. Keep get him, get him on YouTube. Join his live Thursday night show and. Um, you know, educate yourself, get yourself um, armed up and ready because it's a real war. It's a real war. Amen. 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 It is. It's Amen. an all out war. It's an all out war. That's right. All out war. God wins. God wins. That's right. Oh, Gen- Genesis 3, God told him what the end score was going to be. Yeah. At the, at the, right. the, the first. The first kickoff, he told him, oh, by the way, the score is going to be this at the end. Yeah. He already knew. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, well, thank you, Ryan, so much, man. We appreciate you, brother. Thank you for having me. God bless both you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks man. So we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the All Out War podcast today. If you had a blast, then we'd love to have you back for another episode. So please subscribe and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram at All Out War Podcast or on Twitter at AOWcast. These episodes are also available on YouTube unless they contain a little too much truth. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.